0: want to chat with you a little while to get started with this evening and I've been wondering about something I've been wondering uh, if you've lost the wonder now when I say wondering I've been wondering I'm talking about a desire to know something I've been wondering about that but when I use the word wonder I'm talking about awe admiration amazement Or astonishment and I'm really uh, I'm really convinced that uh, in churches in general today that something is is missing maybe it would be more accurate if I said that uh, that that with Christians there there's something missing today and I say that because churches are what they are because Christians are what they are you you know you can't have you can't have a certain church full of certain kind of christians and expect the church to be any different than than the members are the members make up the body and so whatever the church is it's the result of us being what we are and any way you look at it uh, there there's just something missing from the average church today and I, I, whenever I say that I certainly uh, I certainly uh, I have my favorite I, I don't think there's any church anywhere around that I know of that that has what the Lord has given us here I believe that with all of my heart but that doesn't mean we're perfect by the way because we're not I'm talking about uh, Christendom in general there's just something missing and uh Maybe the best way to sum it all up would be to say it seems like we've just lost the wonder. Many years ago, G.K. Chesterton, the famous English writer, made this statement. He said, we are perishing for want of wonder, not for want of wonders. We look at the world, and we look at what God has done, and look at what God is doing, and there are so many wonders But the problem is, we've just seemingly lost the wonder of it all. Recently, a man by the name of Ravi Zacharias died, and Ravi was an absolute brilliant uh, scholar of the Bible. And uh, one of his very best quotes, I believe, was this. He said, the tragedy of growing up is not is not that we lose childishness in its simplicity, but that we lose child-likeness in its sublimity. I believe that is so very true. And down through the years, there have been so many different men that God has used uh, uh, in unusual ways. They were unusual preachers and God used them in great ways. Some of them were—I don't know what word to use other than to say—some of them were very odd, uh, by what we would call the call normal. And uh, after I surrendered to preach, I made it a point to read their stories. I, I read the the story uh, of D. L. Moody. Everything I could get about D. L. Moody. I I, I wanted to know here. Here was a fellow that had the same kind of problem that I do when it comes to the pronunciation of words and things like that, and he just slaughtered the king's English and, and so forth, and uh, uneducated, and he was a shoe salesman. Nobody ever thought he would amount to anything, and yet God used him to uh, to, to move two continents for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there was Billy Sunday, uh, you know, the ex-major league baseball player that was uh, absolute uh, stick of dynamite whenever he preached and Peter Cartwright uh, the old uh, the old uh, circuit riding preacher that would get off in a logging camp or something and challenge any man to get up and fight and uh, and, and, and if somebody stirred up trouble while well, he was willing to fight right then and after the fight was settled he had preached to him and those men respected that and then there was Sam Jones, the famous preacher, Gypsy Smith, Uncle Bud Robinson, and a fellow over in North Carolina by the name of Vance Havner. He's the latest on that list, by the way. He was born in 1901. He died in 1986. And to the best of my knowledge, I have read every single thing that he ever wrote, uh, unless I've missed something. I've read everything that he's ever written. My favorite memory of him is this, and that was a message entitled, Have You Lost the Wonder? And that is a really good question about a very, very serious subject. In years gone by, I've preached on that subject in different ways at different times, more times than I can, than I can remember. And of course, Uh, whenever the flood came and I lost so many of my notes and what have you, I have no idea what I preached and no idea exactly how I'm going to approach the subject tonight. But I do hope that each one of us, and I want you to notice I said us. I didn't say you, I said us. I include myself in that. I hope each one of us will take this question serious. Have we lost the wonder and I really hope we find the answer to that within our own heart. Uh, Vans Habner was not the first man to, to speak about this subject. Many years before, uh, a certain man asked Gypsy Smith, uh, what was the secret of his uh, freshness, the freshness of his preaching when he was well into his 80s at that time? And he wondered, how do you say so fresh And the old gypsy answered him, because I've never lost the wonder. I've never lost the wonder. And my, when you stop and think about it, you have to wonder, how could we lose the wonder of it all? The wonder of God and what he is and what he does. Over over my lifetime, I've had many exciting experiences, but there's nothing that can compare uh, to the experience of salvation. Every saved person here, and, that, and that, I hope that would include everybody, I think you feel exactly the same. Uh, like the old song says, I never shall forget the day that every burden of my heart was rolled away, and I'll never forget that day in my life. That was uh, the greatest wow moment ever. And I know you feel that way. You were blessed beyond measure. And if God never did anything but save you, if that's it, if he just said, look, I'm going to keep you out of hell. I'm going to take you into heaven whenever you die. If that's all God ever did, we'd have no cause for complaint if we had no food in the cupboard, no clothes on our back, no shoes on our feet, no roof over our head, we would still have reason to rejoice because we are a child of the King. So salvation not only closes the door on our past sinful life, but it opens the door for great things to come. And so we we enter that next day. The next day after the day in which you were saved and boy how exciting that is you're just standing in amazement at what God has done and every day seems like a new exciting adventure and uh, and so that raises the question then how could we lose the wonder but what does it mean to lose the wonder Whenever Vance Havner was talking about that subject, he took his text from Matthew chapter eighteen and verse number three, where it's talking about talking about becoming like little children. That was the message from Jesus. Except you be converted and become like little children. But there's 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 too many people that I think have the idea that that means we ought to become childish. And that's the last thing the Lord had in his mind whenever he said that. And uh, Vance Havner, when he opened his message, he made this comment, and I'll quit quoting Vance Havner after this, but I want you to listen to how he introduced the message using that text. He meant that they had uh, not lost the wonder, the little children, And he said they have not been here long enough to get used to it. There is still a sense of surprise. Anything can happen. Everything is new with a child. Every turn of the road may hold some new discovery. Think back to your childhood. Wasn't it a whole lot like that? I think maybe one of my favorite things to do as a boy was to just Walk through the wood or the field or down to where we lived there was an old pond back back down in a field there and I I loved to go back there and go in the woods and exploring I, just looking to see what what I could find and everything is a is a discovery and uh, some way or another over time our our excitement escapes from us and all of a sudden we find ourselves bothered and burdened and bored and it shows it shows you just look at the average congregation so this is not just about you don't get all bent out of shape tonight but if it applies to you let it hurt but a lot of times it shows that we are just we're, we're bothered by the problems of this world and we're burdened down with all of our troubles and we're just bored with life, as it were, and others pick up on that. They see that. So the question is, how in the world can we expect to win the world when they see that in us? Why would they want what we've got? Because based on what they see, we're the ones that need help. That's the way that they think about it, you see. We started off with rejoicing and great relief. We had high hopes, delightful dreams of the life to come, but then something happens, and then something else happens, and all of a sudden we find ourselves, we're we're, we're so troubled with our trials and weary in our work, we're bothered by our burdens of life to the point that we, we sing, How Great Thou Art, and and yet, our real wonder begins to wane, and all of a sudden, the excitement of it has escaped. And rather than to stand in awe at the uh, at the attributes of God, rather than to rather than to just marvel at His mercy and to think about the greatness of His grace, all of a sudden we allow our mind to wonder and and we're just totally off course. we set our sights on our sorrows and we focus on our fears and our attention is on our afflictions and it's no wonder you hear folks say, well, I just didn't get anything out of church today. Well you don't get any more out of it than you put into it unless we put everything into it, we're going to go home with with an empty bucket, you see. Now I want to mention three things about this tonight. number one, who it happens to or who it happened to maybe I should say because of all of the examples in the Bible I'm going to narrow all of this down to two examples one out of the Old Testament one out of the New Testament so I want you to turn to the book of Malachi the last book of the Old Testament of course in chapter one of Malachi and here we find the Jews described in chapter number one And having rebuked them repeatedly in the early part, in verse number 11, he says, For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Now that was God's intention. That is what God expected. That is what God wanted. That was the purpose of Israel, to be a light unto the Gentiles, to magnify his name. So he says, My name shall be great among the heathen, but... Ye have profaned it. What an awful thing. Ye have profaned it, in that ye say, The table of the Lord is polluted, And the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it. And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick, Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand? saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. What a scathing indictment this is against the people of God. These are the people that proudly stood up as it were before the world and said that the only God is our God and that was the most offensive thing they could say to all of the other nations because the other nations had the idea that there are many gods and each nation had their list of gods. And here comes the Jews alone saying, Our God Jehovah, He is the true and the living God. He is the only God. So they have professed their love for God, but in their actions there is no evidence that they really love God at all. Their conduct was unbecoming of their confession. Notice verse 6, he said, They despised His name. That was because they failed to failed to reverence and to honor him. He said, you know, children honor their fathers. Why don't you honor me? They despised his name. Verse 7 and 8 here. He gave, They gave to him that which was worthless to God, the leftovers, less than their best. As I said a few weeks ago, you know, here was a, here was a lamb and it was going to die anyway. And so they thought, well... Might as well just give that to the Lord and make that a sacrifice to Him. And their thinking is, I won't be out anything that way. I won't lose on that deal. But they did because God said, I want none of it. This is the same nation that even whenever they tried to sing the praises to God, He said, it is a noise unto me. Get that out of here. Verse 13, they said, get this now. What a weariness is it. What a weariness is it? The bottom line in that whole story to me is that they had lost the wonder of God's worthiness and they treated him shamefully. They did not give him the honor that he deserved. Wouldn't wouldn't it be a horrible thought if that was the way that the Lord looked at us as a church or, or looked at us as individuals to think that we would sit through a worship service and sing how great thou art and for our very countenance to be saying otherwise. Uh, I I, I, I just don't understand. I understand not being able to sing well, but I've never understood professing Christians not singing. Now, I understand maybe you're sick and maybe you can't, and that's one thing. I understand that. Boy, a week after week after week, and Tim could tell you, Brother Nolan could tell you, Brother Kenneth could tell you, week after week after week. There's some folks you can't get a holy grunt out of them. I mean, they're just they just seemingly are totally disinterested in anything that's going on. Sometimes you wonder to yourself, why are they even here? Why are they here? Really? Now I know. Listen, we've got to be careful about judging the emotions of people because we don't always get a true picture because everybody is different we've got some folks that are not extremely emotional they're not loud and so forth but I, i i can just look at them and tell their heart is engaged in worship and that they certainly don't have the attitude that that this is boring stuff Now, let's go to the New Testament, Revelation chapter 2. And here we find an example in the New Testament in the church at Ephesus. You'll remember that here we find John on the Isle of Patmos writing uh, writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. This is the first letter of the seven, by the way. And he says unto the verse 1, unto the angel of the church at Ephesus, write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and, and that thou hatest them which say they are of the apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake." has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, this is the church that had left its first love doesn't say they lost their love I don't believe a Christian ever loses their love for the Lord but we certainly get distracted from it we certainly become less expressive of it and and I think that's the case here because notice how he begins by commending them all of the good things that he says about them Uh, my they were a working church and laboring and so he gives them this recognition in verse 2 and 3 their works well I guarantee you, you can go into a lot of churches today and find people that are not only not working they're not looking for anything to do they're not working and then notice he says I know about your labor now labor is different in that it is working to the point of exhaustion and how many people do you, do you know that literally exhaust themselves in the work of the Lord? I mean, they push themselves. They, they drive themselves, as it were, to do what they know God would have them to do. And here is a church that is known for that. They're working and laboring, and, and they're patient. <laughs> Boy, we all need a wagon load of that, don't we? Patience. And here's a church that's got it. He said, I know about your patience. And they're standing against evil. I mean, this is a no-nonsense church, by the way. They're willing to stand up against the evil of the day. So you look at this church and you think to yourself, you know, I've been looking for a church. That, that, that's the church I'm going to join. I mean, they've got it all together. That sounds like a great church. And just based on that recognition you have to conclude, boy, that's the church for me, right? What what could be wrong in a church like that? Well, verse 4, here's the rebuke. This tells us exactly what's wrong. He says, you have left your first love. You've left your first love. No longer expressive of your love like you used to be you're distracted from it you've allowed other things as it were to put it on the back burner and to crowd it out and so this is the problem and believe me this problem does not does not in any way whatsoever uh mean that God had totally given up on them you'll see that in just a minute you know God could have said you left your first love and I'm 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 leaving you But he didn't do that, did he? I'm talking about God just saying flatly, I'm out of here. I know he warned them, but in that warning, there's an opportunity. Isn't that wonderful? Because sometimes we we don't have the patience that God does. We're not long-suffering like God is. And we conclude, well, I've just had all of this I'm going to take. I'm not going to take any more. It's not fair. I'm out of here. But God doesn't have that attitude. God was more concerned about their recovery than anything else. And so that's why he reminded them. He said, except you repent, he said, I'm going to remove the candlestick. And boy, let me tell you, when God takes the candlestick, the light, the witness out of a church, it's nothing more than a glorified social club. They can hold services. They can have record attendance. They can have money running out their ears and have the most beautiful building in the city and all of that, but it is absolutely, totally worthless so far as the kingdom of God is concerned. If God's not here, it's God being here with us that makes all the difference in the world. And without Him, we are absolutely nothing. We can't do anything. And so He reminds them of this. Unless you get this right, He says, I'm going to remove the candlestick. And then he gave them, the, gave them the, the remedy for it. And it's a threefold thing, verse 5 and 6. Number one, notice he says, remember, remember. What do you suppose he meant by that? What did he want them to remember? Well, I'm just guessing that he wanted them to remember the blessings. To remember the blessing, blessings of their first love, the way that it used to be. And then to remember the privileges that that they had as his people. and boy, when we think about all the privileges we've got, we need to think about that. We need to remember that. And then I think he wanted them to remember their responsibilities. And this is where they had really slipped up because they have allowed their so-called worship to degenerate into nothing more than formalism. All of the... All of the heartfelt devotion, the excitement and the thrill and all of that is gone. And what a weariness is it they're saying. And It's just God's way of saying you need to remember. But then he says you need to repent. Just just remembering, just reflecting back, thinking about how that used to be. In fact, even remorse about how it is is not enough for God. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, dear God, I'm sorry that I'm, my life is in such a mess. Well, that's well and good, but that's not enough. Amen. He says, repent, repent. And then he says, notice verse 5, return, he says, and do the first works. In other words, get back where you should be. Get back to where you used to be. And th- that's what revival is all about. Revival is a coming to life again. It's the rekindling of the fires that have gone out. It's getting back to where we used to be, to where we ought to be. And then in verse 7, he mentions the reward for doing that. And there's always a reward for that. So we understand now through these examples of who it happens to. But the question is, is why does it happen? Why does it happen? Well, maybe first of all, we ought to think about why it doesn't happen or how it doesn't happen. I don't think it happens intentionally. I really don't. For us to just one day decide, you know, I'm just getting weary with all this church stuff. I'm getting weary of being close to God. I'm getting weary of being excited in our worship service and I, we, we don't plan that it's it's unintentional so it doesn't happen intentionally it doesn't happen overnight I've often said that backsliding is more like a more like a slow leak than it is a blowout it's not just a kaboom and all of a sudden someone backslid and oh no, no that's been going on for some time it's been a progressive thing Their heart, the cooling off of their affections, the change in their attitude just day by day and sometimes for months and months and over this long period of time, suddenly they find their life in a rut instead of on the mountaintop. So it doesn't happen intentionally. It doesn't happen overnight. And believe me, it doesn't happen without consequences. There are consequences for us allowing ourselves to get in that kind of shape and something tragic is going to happen it always does and so when we lose the wonder uh, when we whenever we stop having that thrill that joy that that excitement of doing the will of God whenever that happens uh, we have gotten the same condition as the church at Ephesus and the Jews back in the days of Malachi. So why does it happen? I believe that three of the most important verses in the Bible for a Christian are found in Hebrews chapter number 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. And if you listen to me preach very much, well, you already know what that says. Verse 1 talks about us running the race that is set before us. Not going off on some tangent and doing something that we decided to do. Not allowing others to set the agenda for us, but running the race that is set before us. In other words, going, taking the course that God opens up for us, following the plan that He laid for our life. And how do we do that? Well, verse two says, "Looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of of, of the faith, or our salvation. He is." He's the one that started it. He's the one that's going to finish it. And then verse 3, he said, And consider him, why? Lest ye grow weary and faint. Now remember, he is writing to Christian people here. He's not writing to the unsaved world. This is a message to Christian people. And he says, looking unto Jesus and considering him. And that small section of scripture gets to the very heart of our needs today. Because unless we keep looking unto Jesus, then then we're going to fail and we're going to fall. I mean, how could we lose the wonder when we're looking at the one whose name is wonderful? Wonderful if we're focused on him who is wonderful how do you lose the wonder getting lost in the wonder of his his goodness his grace and his greatness and you know that saves us from ourselves sometimes we forget that our greatest enemy is ourselves you know we we give ourselves more problems than anybody else in all of the world. But, boy, when we focus on him, whenever our attention is, is attuned to the Lord Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, everything else changes. You know, we all a lot of times talk about what we're going to do in heaven. We're going to all be singing in heaven. You know what we're going to be singing about? The theme of heaven is what? The worthiness of the Lamb revelation chapter 5 that's what whenever all of the great heavenly choirs assemble together that's what we're going to be singing about up there the worthiness of the lamb and some folks today have lost the wonder because they have forgotten what what it means to really worship god they just drag in plop down and frown mutter a few words and get up and leave and that's it it's all over Boy, i tell you, it ought to follow us home when we leave here. It's not a matter of just coming in and having some kind of an experience and it's all over. It ought to follow us home. It ought to take us to work. It ought to get us out of bed in the morning, put us to bed at night. Because those who know how to worship God, instead of, instead of being caught up in all of the bad stuff of this world, they are able to see the invisible God. Remember, Moses said he endured. How did he do that? By seeing him who is invisible. Seeing the invisible God thrilling at his presence. I I mean, that makes all of life exciting. So this is why it happens. We lose our focus. Now, lastly, just for a few minutes, I want to talk about what to do about it. What to do about it. When we get in that condition... Where we have lost the wonder of it all, and uh, I mean, we all know if you lose something valuable, what do you do? You start looking for it. really like and I can't find that anywhere it might be a pocket knife or or something like that and and I'll look all over the house I spend as much time looking for it if I worked at McDonald's I could go buy another one but I want to find it and it's not even worth anything really But boy, if you lose something of great value, what do you do? You open every drawer, you turn over every blanket, you look everywhere you can trying to find what you lost. That's the way we ought to feel about this matter of losing the wonder. We might conclude, I don't know how I lost it, I don't know what happened, but I know I need it back one way or another. And if we come to our senses, we'll come back to God and be restored. And boy, it, it's, it's such a wonderful day whenever we finally get honest about it. That's not easy to do, is it? Because we all, we all like to con- convince ourselves and others that well, we're more spiritual than what we really are. We all like to think that. We all want to think we're better than what we are but if we could just learn to see ourselves through god's eyes you say well preacher how do you do that you look into God's Word. That's the way, because the Word of God reflects to us what we are. God, the Holy Spirit, using the Word of God. Remember, the, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, and He plunges the Word into our heart and makes us aware of the needs of our life. So as we get into the Word of God, and God begins to reveal to us those things that are missing, the things that are lacking And all of a sudden we begin to see ourselves as we really are and we come face to face with the fact that my biggest problem is that I have lost the wonder, the wonder of how good, how great, and how gracious God is. And when we finally get to that wonderful day that we're willing to admit it, we need to do what David did in Psalms 51 he said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Restore unto me. Notice he didn't need to pray for salvation. He didn't lose his salvation. He wanted the joy of his salvation restored. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. If we, are, uh, if we don't have the joy of the Lord, we're going to be weak Christians. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And David knew that. And boy, whenever you read in this psalm over and over and over him describing his condition when he's out of the will of God and he talks about how that he was even afflicted physically. His, his bones waxed old and here was a man that absolutely was, was in torment and pain every day and finally, finally he comes to his senses and said, I've got to turn this around. And thank God he did, amen. He did, and you and I can. We really can, but we've got to get honest enough to admit that if we've lost the wonder to be honest about that, admit it, and take the whole matter to God in prayer. Because let me tell you right now, it's not something that we can do on our own. We can't. We can't. I look back on my life and the, I'm looking back on my Christian life. And I'm, I'm talking about the times that I knew there was something amiss in my heart, something wrong in my life. My attitude was out of line or whatever it was. I knew it was wrong. I know, you know, in my heart that I need to make this right. And I, I've even made efforts that I, I'm I'm going to do better at that. Made those resolutions. I'm going to do better at that. Let me tell you right now, every single time it ended in failure, it always does. Because until we get to that point that we get on our face before God and say, Lord, I know what's wrong and I want want to get it right and I can't do it without you. I'm asking you to, to restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And God will do it. He doesn't leave us in the lurch doesn't make promises that he can't keep god is there ready and able and willing to help us in our time of need and and i love the fact that paul used so many superlatives And when when he talked about joy he, he had just said joy but he said no no with the Christians, joy unspeakable and is full of glory. It's a peace that passeth all understanding. It's, it's a love that's beyond knowledge, something beyond anything we can comprehend. And that's the abundant life that God wants for every one of us. Jesus said, I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundant. That's what God wants. And if that's what God wants, if we'll bring it to him in prayer god will provide that don't go and and i'm not accusing you because i don't know your heart but if you've lost the wonder if you have to go home and get down on your knees by your bed and pray till midnight whatever you've got to do let god help you restore that sense of wonder the wonder of how great god really is because that will bleed through and affect absolutely every single area of your life and it will show to others in some way or another they'll pick up on that and it'll make a difference let's all pray father forgive us of the times lord that we've been negligent in our lives the times that we've just well we just let things slip we've let things slide and go by that really we should have given our attention to too many times we've counted things as minor issues when actually they were of major importance. And Lord help us tonight to, and we're asking you to enlighten our minds and to shine the light of your word in our heart and reveal to us what is amiss in our life, what, is, what it is that's displeasing in your sight, what it is that we need to do so that you might be pleased and grant the desires of our heart lord i just pray that not one person would leave here tonight without knowing in their heart that as imperfect as we are that you love us more than we could love ourselves and that we want to do everything in our power to please you in every way may we live as it were standing in all of your greatness and be able in some way by our attitude and actions to reflect that to others. For we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. That's all.